I've printed out, but hopefully there's enough for one each or for everyone who wants one. Page 1111 in the Green Bibles. 1111. You should be in Ephesians chapter 5 if you want to follow it on a tablet or smartphone or some other device. Uh, today is Pentecost Sunday. Uh, the church around the world, that's, um, it is thought to be more people than watched the royal wedding yesterday will be in some way, shape or form taking the name of Jesus Christ upon their lips around the world. 1.9 billion apparently watched the, they reckon, watched the wedding. It's over 2 billion take the name of Jesus Christ in whatever flavor or form that might be around the world. And they will be celebrating uh, the church's birthday. It was on Pentecost that the church was born. As Peter preached a fairly rough and ready sermon, who am I? Uh, And uh, 3,000 were added to their number that day. And the church was born. Pentecost is, we should probably start our worship with a rendition of happy birthday, but we've missed it now. Maybe at the end, who knows. Uh, So so Pentecost, and we're going to be looking at uh, Paul's injunction to the to the Holy Spirit um, and to be filled with the Spirit. Hey, just before we do that, um, alone, let me read it and then and then um, I want to riff on the on the wedding for a few minutes. Um, chapter five and verse fifteen. The second half of this letter, Paul is basically saying, how do we live in the context of this great city that has this whacking great temple built on a hill, one of the seven wonders of the of the ancient world. Um, over 160 pillars, each pillar was 60 feet high. It was massive. It dwarfed uh, Ephesus. When you, it's a bit like if I say to you Windsor, you think castle, because Windsor Castle just dominates the little town that is Windsor. Uh, so if I said to you back in Paul's time, Ephesus, they'd go temple to Artemis or Diana, goddess of love. And the worship, inverted commas, that took place in that temple was something to be behold uh, if the historians and archaeologists are to be believed. It was full of shrine prostitutes. There were, it was orgiastic and drunken. It was, rev- it was just the biggest rave wrapped up as worship. Uh, it's kind of cultic uh, worship. So there was a very clear, we know from all the archaeology in the site, uh, it's become apparent in the last 50, 60 years, that there was a very rich spiritual atmosphere in the town of Ephesus. You, d- you didn't need to convince people that, of, of our, that we were made to kind of worship or to have an experience outside of ourselves. They all knew that. It's just what or whom did you worship and how did you do it? And that's what Paul is addressing because he's come to realize that this Jesus whom you crucified, God has made Lord and Savior. And the Spirit has come and has birthed the early church and Paul has realized, wow, we used to be forced to call the emperor God and we'd worship the emperor. And I now see those men and women who are carted off by the emperor to be martyred in the lions or the gladiators. They seem more full of joy as they go to their death. In fact, the historians tell us they sang. They sang hymns. So fantastic. Because the emperor can take my, he can kill me, but he can't take my life. I, I, I've been won by a higher power. Uh, and I will pray, and Paul goes, and the early Christian, and the church mushrooms, go, wow, 
there's something real here. There's something more vibrant here than anything you do in that temple. And so Paul goes straight to the center, to Ephesus. And he says, you guys are all drawn into worship up there. And you have an amazing time, apparently. Well, no, you do. It is an incredible time. I'm not saying sex is and getting drunk is, hasn't got things to commend it to a point. But Paul says there's something and someone even greater. And so here's his instruction to these, this fledgling church in the shadow of this great temple. Verse 15, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And I'll pause there, not because I'm afraid of preaching on verse 22. Um, in fact, I might, uh, verse 22 comes into what I want to say uh, and beyond, verse 23 as well for husbands. It's all part of submitting, uh, all part of being filled with the Spirit. We naturally want to submit to one another, wives to husbands, husbands to wives, because we submitted to the Lord uh, by His Spirit. Hey, just um, let me just take that, um, verse 16, making the most of every opportunity. Before I get into what I want to say, every single one of us, we have got an immense opportunity. It's, time is running out already, but we've got an immense opportunity as you go to your place of work tomorrow, off the back of yesterday. Because 1.9 billion people trended and tweeted and they're creating memes and so on, not as with um, his brother and the previous wedding about a bridesmaid's derriere. The tweets this time are around the sermon. The talk. I mean, and it was an incredible, what an amazing day. What everything went to plan. Uh, the weather, all the timings, the little bridesmaids, everything with the, the flowers, Windsor Castle. It all looked incredible. Yet, what, is the, what are they talking about? They're talking about the preacher. They're talking about the sermon. The tragic thing, if you'll allow me, is that the reason why we're talking about someone who was passionate about what he spoke about and clearly knows the Lord and is full of the Spirit, is that most people were expecting the opposite. That's why they're talking about it. That nothing but the antecedent assumption that church is dull could have occasioned so much about it. Because with all due respect, it was a 14-minute preach on love. You know, and if you read the transcripts, it's, you know, there's lots of good things in there, and actually quite a lot of biblical references, but probably read or heard better sermons, if I'm honest. I mean, hey, fair play to the guy, 1.9 billion people all listening in on you saying, he did, he did brilliantly, I'm not dissing him, I'm just saying, <laughs> why, is this, why, is the, why, the, why the kind of Ferrari? Because, because the assumption is that spirit-filled Christian living is dull. And so suddenly when there's someone who just lives out what he believes, we'll go, wow, amazing. No, just ordinary actually, that's what it is, you're missing out. I'm not you, I mean... The, you know, those who, one is missing, one, of course, one is missing out, Royal Wedding. I, uh, I'm, f I'm feeling in a slightly, so it's Pentecost, I'm feeling in a slightly controversial mood, so I'm going to go with this one. Um, I, and if I'm conscious this is being recorded, and so you're free to disagree with me, this is just my opinion, disclaimer, disclaimer. But I, just as the camera went round and he's preaching, did you, did you notice the Royal Mail's? 
it, is, is it just me? Was there kind of that discomfort? Was there stuff going on in the spiritual realms? If someone speaks about love or freedom on these boys who've had duty pressed on them, boys like Prince Charles, he's a, in one sense, God bless him, I, I, I wouldn't want his life for love nor money. He's a 60-odd-year-old boy. And, and Harry and Wills, I mean, God bless them. I think they, they are unbelievable what they have had to work through and what they are working through. But that kind, of, that kind of duty that has been pressed on them. And here's a guy preaching love and release and, and freedom. And it, it, it kind of, I don't, I, don't know, I don't know what to do with this. The crowd's outside, they knew what to do. Yeah, preach it, amazing. When he, when he says, you, we've got to get you married. And they're like, yeah. That's, that's, how, that's how we should. We should engage with the Lord. It's life. Not so buttoned up. This is going on too long. Look at him getting excited. I did get a bit nervous about the candle. Do you see the left-hand candle? Woo. I tell you, there was a verger in the wings. Really nervous. Like his life depended on that candle staying up there. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm done with... Uh, Except that you've got, tomorrow morning, everyone will be talking about it. Make the most of every opportunity. You've got an opportunity. By next Friday, mm, it'll be old news. But tomorrow... What are you going to say? What's your contribution in the, in the conversation over coffee and at lunch uh, as you just chat with your workmates and colleagues' housemates? Here's an opportunity. Don't blow it. Don't blow it because for once the preacher did well. So look, I want to do um, very briefly the context of this command to be filled with the Spirit, the content of this command to be filled with the Spirit and the characteristics, what it looks like. Uh, if we get there, if we run out of time, we might, we might pause before that. The context I've mentioned about Ephesus, that the context of the letter, is a spiritual high going on in this city. And, and Paul basically... Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> forfeit, forfeit, what should I do? Uh, I do apologize, I'm so sorry. So there's a real spiritual temperature in Ephesus. And Paul is wanting to address that and say, in the context of this spiritual temperature, there's another way to be spiritual. And, and how he does that is to set up a whole load of contrasts in the letter. So particularly from, from um, verse, uh, chapter 4 onwards, he's basically, the, the, the kind of structure of the letter is not like this, but like that. Not, not, like, not like you're used to, Here's another way. He, he sets up contrasts. So, for example, he employs metaphors like um, you used to live in darkness, but now you walk in the light. He, he, you used to live walking towards death, but now you are walking towards life. So he sets up these contrasts for how you are to be different, you Ephesians, to the culture around you. And it intensifies when it comes to the reading we had here. Chapter 5, verse 15. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise but by contrast, as wise, making the most of the opportunities. Verse 17, therefore do not be foolish, but by contrast, understand what the Lord's will is. And it culminates, this, this final set of, of, of kind of contrasts, if you like, culminates in verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So if we want to live distinctive Christian lives, 
we need to live in such a way that we contrast the culture around us. That doesn't mean we hide into our holes and, and, and become... Paul's not kind of advocating here some kind of anemic version of Christianity. No. It, in fact, I think I've put on the notes. Yeah, the, the contrast in verse 18 is not the source of the experience. Sorry, sorry. It is the source of the experience. It's not the nature. Okay, so we're not to get drunk on wine, but we are to be drunk. We are to be intoxicated, but not on alcohol, on the spirit. Do not get drunk on wine. Actually, that, that's a command in and of itself. I kind of want to challenge us here. Um, wine is, uh, it leads to debauchery. Alcohol is a depressant. Why, why would we want to take on something that depresses us? Sure, it releases us for a while, but in that sort of giddy release, we say things that we later regret. We do things that we wish later on we could undo. And then we wake up the next morning hungover. And we go to work and say, oh, my head really hurts. Like, why would we do that? You know, sort of, when, you, when you stand back from sin and look at it objectively, it rarely makes any sense. Why would I pay money to get a headache? And then I sort of tell everyone about it as if I'm kind of you know, proud of it. What's going on there? I kind of, well, yeah, I got a real heavy night last night. Well, keep it to yourself. Why do we need to know that? What's going on? Don't get drunk on wine. Leads to debauchery. Doesn't honor God. By contrast, be filled with the Spirit. Paul is saying, be intoxicated, but not with alcohol, with the Spirit, which enlivens. It, it brings out the flavor of who we are. It's creative. Right, Genesis 1. Lydia is always taking us back to creation. It's fantastic. Remind ourselves. Genesis 1, the, the Spirit was there, hovering over creation, speaking life into being. Being filled with the Spirit brings forth life. We wake up the next morning, we discover we're producing fruit. There's nothing more delicious for others. You see a succulent bowl of fruit on a sort of warm and balmy day like today. You see a really ripe peach or a banana or an apple, juicy pear. You think, yeah. I want to, oh, that is so good. I want to eat that. Our lives should be irresistible. Be filled with the Spirit. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Be filled with the Spirit. That's, that's the, the context for this command here. What I want to do secondly, looking into the content of just this little imperative, be filled, is to drill down into this. I want to pick apart what all the technical grammarians want to do with this verb. Four things about being filled, uh, this, this phrase here. It is second person plural, present, continuous, passive, imperative. It's just satisfied all the kind of linguists in the room. Second person plural uh, is a regular reminder. We need to remind ourselves that the... In, in English, in our English language, we have the same word you for singular as for plural. And so it's really hard for us sometimes to discern when we read this, you should this or you should that or you should the other, whether we're speaking to an individual or to the whole corpus, the whole body. More often than not, it's everyone. 
Most of the yous in the Bible are you plural. And if we read this in German or French, that would be apparent. Because they have different words for you singular and you plural. But because we don't, we tend to, in our in culture, again, you see, we slip into the culture and we think, oh, it's just all about me. But this is a command for everyone, the whole church. Be filled with the Spirit is not just for the vicar or the staff or the PCC or life group leaders or whoever else we might think is spiritual, although all of them are. It's for everyone. Every single one of us, be filled with the Spirit. There is, there is an individual responsibility to the other in our corporate gathering. Be filled with the Spirit. It's second person plural. It's present continuous. We could literally translate it as go on be being filled. Or be being filled, a bit clunky, but that's literally what the Greek is saying. In other words, it's not a one-off event that happened a little while ago. You, you could say, we could have had those stories earlier on, uh, someone saying, uh, oh, I went to Focus last year, and I went to the big top, and the worship was incredible, and the, and the speaker was amazing, and it was a fantastic talk, and at the end, they invited us to be filled with the Spirit, and I, I felt God kind of say, now's your time, go to the front, get prayed for, be filled with the Spirit, and I was filled with the Spirit, and it was amazing back then, 10 months ago. And I'd want to say that is fantastic for you 10 months ago. But do you know what you need tomorrow morning as you trip into work? You need to be filled with the Spirit tomorrow morning. Because I don't know what phone call is going to come or what email is going to fly across your desk or what your colleague is going to do or what your boss is going to dump on you or how that client meeting is going to go or how the project is working out. Who knows what tomorrow will bring? The Lord does, and he'll meet you there. And as long as you're open to be filled with the Spirit in an ongoing way, he'll equip you for what you need. But don't rely on what happened 10 months ago or five years ago. Oh yeah, I've done that, tick. No, go on being filled with the Spirit. We're, we're like sponges in water. A, a, a sponge, natural sponge lives in water. You take it out of water, the water drains away, and it begins to dry out and then die. The kindest thing you can do to a sponge is immerse, immerse it in the water again, so the water fills it. You take a sponge out, it drains out. We're like those sponges. We, we go to work and we, we, we leave the kind of, uh, the, the, this corporate setting where the sense of God's presence is palpable, and we begin to leak, as it were, and dry out. And if we leave that for too long, we'll die. It's, it's the kindness of the Lord that he commands us to go on being filled. Thirdly, it's passive. There are 1,630 commands in the New Testament. Most of them are active. In other words, they are commands, you do this, you, uh, you know, be kind, be generous, be thoughtful, be loving. We are the initiator of the action. It's incumbent upon us to carry it out. But in, out of those 1,630 commands, 77 are in the passive mood, which means someone else is the initiator and the command is carried out on us. This is, a, and often in the English, you, it's be something. So be filled. Allow this to happen to you. You're not the initiator. God is the one. Gracious, we don't, we don't merit this. We don't deserve God's life living in us. 
but through his grace and generosity, he delights in pouring his spirit, giving us his life. So the command for us is to allow this to happen. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why we often have space um, at the end of the service or sometimes in between the services, in the middle of worship or whenever, to pause, to, to kind of take in God afresh, to drink him in. We'll have an opportunity at the end of this service to, to be prayed for. Someone come alongside us and to pray that we might be filled. And, and our posture is simply to kind of relax into God. To, um, I've got my hands up. It's like, you know, as if you're sort of receiving a gift. If someone was going to give you a gift, you'd hold your hands out. It's, it's a kind of body language for, Lord, I, I just want to receive everything you've got. I'm here to be filled with your life-giving Holy Spirit. Fourthly, it's imperative. It's a command. It's not an option. It's not like, well, um, shall I be filled? Well, I don't know. No, maybe not. No, it, it's, there's not an option. There's, there's, it's the only way to live. Second person plural. Present passive imperative. Be filled with the Spirit. Um, an illustration. This is amazing. It is, um, it is a beautiful piece of craftsmanship. I love the color, first of all. It's this kind of, I don't know what you just, I'm red, but what kind of red? It's this sort of vibrant red. And the leather, I don't, I don't you love the smell of leather? Oh, I love that. It's just, it's this, it's this, and I love it, just even the feel of just the texture. Um, and it's just been brilliant. It's got padding in there. And um, here, look, this, the thumb, I don't even see this, but the thumb and the main bit are joined. They've got that little bit joined there so that your thumb doesn't fly out. It's kind of held in. Isn't that brilliant? The stitching. The stitching on this is exquisite. Honestly, there's not a stitch missed. It is just fantastic. Beautiful. Beautiful. And that's all it is. It's just beautiful just well made. Actually, that's a wonderful thing. It, it has been beautifully made. But, but if that's all we say of this boxing glove, that it's just a beautifully made, lovely looking, nice smelling article, we've completely missed the point. This glove, as it currently is, just has potential. And the potential needs to be realised. Now, I could, I look out on, on you, and I promise you, I could go around the room, each and every one of you that, that I know, and I could say just how beautifully made you are, how wonderful you are, your mind, your, the, the kind of combination of your character and your emotions and your abilities. I could say that each and every one, as I said of this love, amazing, beautiful, incredible potential. But you're so much more than that. I am so much more than that. Because this love, in all its potential, was made for a purpose. See, at the moment, it's just this lifeless, weak thing. And I can, I can just look at it. I mean, for all its beauty and all its potential and all you know it's kind of created to be, I can just nonchalantly kick it along the aisle. Look at this back heel. And I wonder how many of us feel sometimes in our place of work or perhaps in a relationship or some 
history in our lives that we're working through and wrestling with, we feel a little bit like that beautiful, full of potential, but kind of kicked around. God in his kindness gives us this command. Be filled with the Spirit. In other words, the one who created this beauty climbs inside us. Can I have a volunteer? No, that was a a joke. (laughs) Justin. You see, with, with the creator living inside the creation, now the potential can be purposed into power, power for living. You and I were made to pack a punch. We're made to make a difference. We're not just made to look good. We, we're made to have living in us. That is the most extraordinary thing about our very existence. That God wants to live inside us. I haven't got time to unpack it, but look in Ephesians chapter 2, earlier on. Paul deliberately uses a temple analogy to describe the Christian church. He says, you two are being built like a temple. Not that one, because they're going to wake up with a hangover tomorrow. Oh gosh, well heck, don't get drunk on wine. Be filled with the Spirit. That's the real temple. That's the real power. You go into work knowing who you are, beautifully made with power and purpose. You will make a difference to the lives around you. We will make a difference to the lives around us. Be filled with the Spirit, Paul says. Each of you, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to become who God has made you to be. And just on that, it's not, please, again, it's why it's you plural. It's not, oh, so maybe I'll try and be like Tim or I'll try and be like Lydia or try and be like Will or James or Justin. I'll try and be like, actually, not even, if I can risk heresy, not even trying to be like Jesus. Because Jesus was Jesus, and he now lives in you to enable you to become who he's made you to be. It's being more of Ben and Sophie and Phil and Emily and whoever it is, whoever you are, it's being more truly who God has made you to be. I I, I don't mind those bracelets that I think they've gone out of fashion now, thankfully. But, you know, the WWJD, what would Jesus do? That's quite a good question, but it's not the question as you face the issue at work, or as you're wrestling through what to do next, what would Jesus do? I don't know. The issue is, what's he calling you to do? How do I know that? Well, you ask him into your life, and you allow him to fill you with his spirit. And he, the mind of Christ, Paul says, we've been given the mind of Christ. He will enable you to discern what to do. Be filled with the spirit. Not so I can become like someone else, but so that I can become who I am called to be, created to be, to pack a punch. Final question, and then we finish. Well, we lead into some prayer time and ministry and finish. Let's just imagine, verse 18, that you choose to disobey the first prohibition of the two commands in that verse, and you um, go on a complete all-night bender tonight. You, You go out and you just sink, I don't know how many 
units of alcohol so that when you arrive at work tomorrow somehow, you're still completely drunk. Just imagine that. Who would notice? I mean, imagine you go to, go to work and you're completely hammered. Who would notice? Everyone. I mean, you could probably keep it maybe from some people in the office, but the person working next to you, or uh, if you have a conversation on a phone for longer than 10 seconds, it would probably emerge. Anyone receiving an email from you, probably your boss, uh, yeah, it would become apparent, wouldn't it? If you're drunk on wine, it's apparent. It's obvious. Don't get drunk on wine, Paul says. Be filled with the Spirit. Here's the question. How obvious is it going to be tomorrow that you are drunk on Jesus? By the way in which you speak and sing psalms, hymns, songs, and spiritual songs, by the way you submit to one another, your attitude of gratitude to God, your thankfulness, the way in which you go about your tasks, the way in which you speak to people, the way in which you are, is it obvious that you are drunk on Jesus in the way, same way that it would be obvious if you were drunk on wine? That's the challenge for us. That's the question. As we take seriously and grapple on Pentecost Sunday, the pouring out of God's Spirit, this command of Paul's, be filled with the Spirit. For the glory of God, amen. Let's just pause for a moment.